0: So, let's wrap up part four of the Srikana Upanishad. In answer to Indra's inquiry, Uma said, That was the supreme being. The victory, which you claim as your own, was that supreme being's. He it was who caused you to be glorious. Hearing this, Indra thought, It was the supreme lord. Because of this encounter, these demigods... Agni, Vayu and Indra are superior to the other demigods in that they came close to touching the Supreme Person and they first of all beings considered that was the Supreme Lord. On that account, Indra surpasses all other demigods for he came closest to touching the Lord and he first of all realized that was the Supreme Being. This is the instruction the Supreme Being, Lord Vishnu, gave with regard to his supremacy over the demigods. Oh, how wonderful! He it is who illuminated lightning, the sun, and so forth. Oh, how marvelous! He it is who closes his eyes and lies upon the flood waters at the time of the periodic universal devastation. He also demonstrated that he is the super soul, which the mind endeavors to comprehend but can never fully understand. By his power, the mind remembers desirable things again and again. He is known as Tadvana and he should be worshipped as the Adorable One. One who knows this is loved dearly by all creatures. Shiva said, Sir, instruct me. Brahma replied, I have indeed instructed thee. I told thee the Upanishad known as Brahmi. In order to realize the Supreme Soul, one must practice austerity, sense control, and one's prescribed occupational duties. The Vedas, together with the corollary Vedic literature and the determination of the true nature of the Godhead by philosophical research are combiningly the foundation of self-realization. One who understands this Upanishad and has vanquished all his sinful desires is established in the realm of the omnipresent Lord Vishnu and resides there eternally. Thus ends the Shri And I wanted to speak on a couple of things. Because to recap the whole thing really quickly, this is a conversation between two very elevated individuals. And far beyond our comprehension, these people exist on other realms where your mind can think about many, many other things at the same time. Kind of like I'm comparing the way we think to the way an ant thinks. This is the way we're like the ant and these demigods are like us on another level. And at the end here, he's asking them some pretty deep questions and Brahma is helping him to parse out illusion from truth and he's pointing him towards the fact that there must be a person inside the body that isn't you and me there must be another and they state it over and over again and to think it's simply being dualistic is to miss the point There is another point being made here. But I think more importantly, as we just finished it up, the eighth mantra of this fourth part is a little bit wordy, in my opinion. Their translation is a little bit wordy. And it seems to be almost intentionally wordy. Where the Vedas likes to be very condensed and pithy, this translation kind of takes two lines and makes them a little bit bigger than I think they should be. But that's just me being a little critical. And I am not a Sanskrit scholar. So what I'm going to try to do is possibly make this mantra 8 a little bit easier to understand. Because as let's listen to the Let's listen to the eloquence and simplicity of these two lines in Mantra Eight. Tasyita Buddha Mah Karmati Pratisha Veda sarvangani Satyam Ayatanam Tasyta Buddha Maha Karmati Pratishtha Veda Sarvangani Satyam Ayatanam. And the translation is, In order to realize the Supreme Soul, one must practice austerity, sense control, and one's prescribed occupational duties. The Vedas, together with the corollary Vedic literature, and the determination of the true nature of the Godhead by philosophical research, are combinedly the foundation of self-realization. It's a mouthful, to say the least, this uh, second verse, the second line being translated but I can understand why they did it because Vedak is Vedak with the H at the end is plural as in Sarvangani Sarva is everything and Angani is the limbs so all the limbs Vedak Sarvangani Satyam Ayatanam, and Satyam obviously is in the mode of goodness so all of these Vedic all the all the Vedas and their, yeah, as they say, corollary literatures. All the Vedas and their corollary literatures. Satyam. In the mode of goodness. Ayatanam. And I don't know if, pointing out that they're combinedly... First of all, that word I don't even use that word. I never see that word used. So whether it is a word or not, it's not going to help us nowadays because we don't use this word. And to understand, well, the Vedas together, I think it's kind of redundant to say combinedly if you already said together. So like I'm saying, this last verse is where we are wrapping up the Sri Kano Upanishad and it's imminent for people to understand what's being said. And instead of being being simple, the translators got complex and made a very complicated sentence out of something pretty simple. Veda Satyam Ayatanam. Veda Satyam Ayatanam. So let's let's just try to see if we can say it a little bit more simple. The Vedas and Vedic literature and The mood for spiritual, philosophic research are the foundation of self-realization. The Vedas and Vedic literature The Vedas, Vedic literature, and the mood of of spiritual, philosophical research or philosophical, spiritual, philosophic inquiry are the foundation of self-realization. Okay, so Pratishta, I think, is where they're saying the firm foundation. and uh my point is this that these are two very simple statements and as we're getting to the end of Srikanth Upanishad it's imminent that people understand these so the first one i can understand uh I can understand because I've seen people use this term One's prescribed occupational duties many times But I don't know if other people can understand that So, I mean, when it says Karmeti "Karmeti" is referring to the karma that we have in this life And not necessarily whatever we want to do uh, in the moment It's the kind of stuff that you just cannot shake For example, you speak English Because you're understanding me you're not going to be able to renounce that part of you without misunderstanding this very un, uh, very important instruction here, that, that that part of you, which is part of your karma, and you need to determine what that is, obviously, that part of you is, is part of self-realization. It's an integral part of self-realization. And that's the beauty of this whole thing, is that what they're saying in the end, in this last verse, the second to last verse, because in the last verse they say, you know, you, you hit the jackpot if, you, if you've heard this Upanishad. And they will say that in a lot of Vedic literature. The very last verse, they'll say, hey, one who reads this in the Puranas, they'll say, one who reads this will always be able to buy an old mobile for the rest of his life. That's kind of like the stuff that they do. In the Puranas, and at the end of this one, they have a very similar verse that one who understands this Upanishad has vanquished all his sinful desires. Very, very important detail. You don't just understand this Upanishad without vanquishing your sinful desires, and vice versa. You understand that the purport of this Upanishad when you vanquished your sinful desires. And if you don't believe in sinful desires, I don't know what are you even listening to this for? Uh, Because that's kind of like reality that everything in this podcast is based on. That there really is uh, good stuff in the world and there really is bad stuff in the world. It's not all um, subjective. Because, let's just smash that for a second. Because if it were all subjective, the very first thing would would be saying that it's a subjective fact. So that would be the first subjective fact to be thrown out. And... Even within this determination that everything is subjective, you have to abandon that because it makes no sense. Because since it's a subjective statement, we're going to throw it out. So we'll throw that out and we'll accept that there actually are sinful desires and there actually are you know, good, good desires. Um, and vanquishing those sinful desires, you'll be able to understand the Supanishad. And one who understands the Supanishad the has vanquished their sinful desires, and they're established in the omnipresent Lord, the realm of the omnipresent Lord Vishnu, you reside there eternally, good news, so they'll go back and they'll try to understand the Upanishad so let's try to understand the Supanishad, you guess a little taste of eternity here, because, like I said, it's only two lines, and they're they're really condensing a lot of material into those two lines, so you can see why the translators want to translate it uh, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more souped up with one's just prescribed occupational duties. But I think you could take that and say one's karma, because if you try to misinterpret karma or mistranslate it then it's not karma anymore. It's like saying, you know, I well, you know, we have some black paint here, but it's made with yellow. So it's got a little bit of yellow. That's not black. Black is black. And so, yeah, being real about this last, second to last verse here, uh, this verse is really tra- helping us out with the entire Shikhen Upanishad, which is, it's saying That you really have to have the mood for philosophical research. Philosophical meaning, you know, spiritual. Not like uh, dry, modern philosophy. Like real philosophical research. And the determination for that philosophical research in the Vedas. Their translation seems to really, really mislead one. Because it's, it's a big, long it's not so misleading, but it's definitely not as nice and simple as it sounds in Sanskrit. Sarvangani satyam ayatanam Anyway, we can see there's a very important point being being given to us at the end of the Srikena Upanishad, which is you have to... um, that your austerity, sense control, and your karma are essential, um, as well as the Vedas, all the other Vedic literature, and most importantly, your own mood to be philosophically pursuing these subjects. Otherwise, there will be no self-realization. And so to end this whole thing, I wanted to I wanted to hit these verses that are probably my favorite verses in the, in the whole Srikhana Upanishad. Um, from the first part, starting with mantra five and ending with mantra eight, the last four verses of the first part, which you could probably speculate might have been the Srikhana Upanishad in certain places for a certain amount of time. This first part. So. It really condenses a lot of the Shrikena Upanishad in these last four verses of the first part. So let's get into them. I would like to read the Sanskrit, but the Sanskrit probably be a little too much for this one. It's very beautiful, though. And I think maybe in another podcast I'll recite that verse, these verses. There are four verses, and they're very beautiful. So let's read the English translations. Mantra 5. He who cannot be conceived of by the mind, by whom they say the mind is impelled to think, know thou that he alone is the supreme spirit, not this individual soul which men adore. He who the material eye cannot behold, but by whose power the power of the eye sees. Let me say that again. He who the material eye cannot behold, but by whose power the eye sees know thou that he alone is the Supreme Spirit, not this individual soul which men adore. He whom the ear does not hear, but by whose power the ear hears what is to be heard, know thou that he is the Supreme Spirit, not this individual soul that men adore. He who lives without the need of prana, the life heir, but by whose power prana gives life to the living beings, Know thou that he alone is the Supreme Spirit, not this individual soul which men adore. And with that, I bid you farewell.